Hello, listeners. Welcome to this brand new, far out episode of Warped Celluloid. I'm your host, Jack Rourke, with my esteemed, illustrious co host, Chandler Williams. How's it going, Chandler? How's the vibes today? Pretty groovy, Jack. I just got done what, rewatching the movie and I'm uh, excited to talk about it. And speaking of which, I believe we have a guest to join us I mean, for this ma- ma- in this special episode. I'm not going to even try and say Magnolia. <laughs> <laughs> I almost said Magnolia for a second. Anyway, we're in to our special guest. Care to introduce yourself? Hello, I am Garrett Brody. I am a buddy of Jack's from good old film Twitter. Um, and he asked me a few months ago if I wanted to be a part of this glorious podcast. Talked about inherent glorious life. is one way of putting it. Well, yeah, yeah, groovy. I like groovy too. Tax um, shelter is one way. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, inherent vice. Um, loved it. Watched it last night. Took a lot of notes, and I'm ready to talk about it with you guys. All righty. So without further ado, we talked about inherent vice. Well, we're about to talk about it. <laughs> inherent vice. Can... Yes. If it's a quiet night out at the beach and your ex-old lady suddenly out of nowhere shows up with a story about her current billionaire land developer boyfriend and his wife and her boyfriend and a plot to kidnap the billionaire and throw him in a loony bin. I need your help, Doc. Maybe you should just look the other way. But if you're Doc, it may all start to get a little peculiar after that. Michael Z. Wolfman. And Mickey Wolfman. And Mickey Wolfman. Has vanished. So wh- where would I uh, find him? He's a technically Jewish, but wants to be a Nazi. And a girl don't necessarily want to get into difficulties with those folks. You got a spare picture I could borrow? Ah! Mm-hmm. Well, maybe you're better off with the Nazis. Whoa. Are you all right? Am I? Are you? Ordinarily, we're the ones asking the questions. And your question is, which side am I on? Good question. Wrong answer. Choto, Kinichiro, Dozo, Moto Penekeku, Moto Penekeku, Moto Penekeku, Hai, Hai, Hai. Doc may not be a do-gooder, but he's done good. But I do know that I love you. And I know that if you love me too, what a wonderful world this would be. Good luck, Doc. What a wonderful world this would be. Coming just in time for Christmas. Groovy. So, right off the cuff, for initial thoughts, everyone. Well, first time, you, you go ahead. No, I'm sorry, you go ahead. Okay, uh, thanks. First time I watched this was a few months ago. Um, it, I was thinking I, I loaned you the Blu-ray, right? I actually, it was a blind buy. I actually bought it. Um, nice. I wasn't completely sober, um, <laughs> so. And I do regret that because uh, it was just way over my head. I had no idea what's going on the whole time. Um, which I mean, is, some would say that's an ideal exp- way to experience it. Someone's. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, I think that's partially his um, vision. It's like you, you got to really, really keep up. Yeah, 
Um, but I, this was just my third time watching it, and it's completely sober. Um, and it was, man, so good. Unfortunately, yeah. I have never been able to experience this high, and I have now seen it, I don't know, five, six times. Mm, yeah. Because my story with this is, I discovered this very late, late in high school. Like, this was two months before I graduated. And I'm like, oh, detective movies, neat. I'm probably going to give this one a look into it because I just saw Boogie Nights around the same time. I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to do a deep dive into Paul Thomas Anderson's filmography. First time, I liked it. I thought it was interesting. And I'm like, but I'm like, it's like one of those times where a friend introduces you to a song, but you're not exactly loving it, but you're intrigued. And like, when and once it's over, you just kind of have this long, silent pause where you're like, okay, play that again. And it just like keeps looping in your mind. Or in mind, you just kind of have to go further and further down that rabbit hole. Cut to now to put it, and, yeah. and cut to now, it's in my personal top 10 of all time. Wow. Nice. Yep. nice. Right, anyway, bro, right, I actually invited Brody on here for a very particular reason, Chandler. Right, because one, I know, I know he and I are both very big noir junkies. And two, I know you, right, you two are very big uh, Paul Thomas Anderson fans. I figured we can get a lot of mileage out of that. Oh, yeah. Paul, oh, Paul yeah. Anderson, man. He, uh, this is a few years ago. I was, uh, I think, a sophomore in, in, at college. I've never seen a film of his before. And I saw Boogie Nights was on Netflix at the time. I'm like, okay. I've heard about so it. I saw it too. His name. Yeah, yeah, Netflix. So I watched it. And I'm like, holy shit, this guy is great. I got some major Scorsese vibes, but it wasn't was like say, a copycat. It was like, it's uh, all the more impressive yeah. because he was 26 when he made it. I know. It's insane. And I'm then like, I just went in there, watched all of his shit, and I became a huge fan just from then. I mean, but inherent vice. This is this is the black sheep of his films because he has a particular style to him, which he does come out in this film. But it's Absolutely. not his kind of work. Like it's it's Pinchon's work, and he. Well, I haven't read the book, Jack City. It's the, the book, only. I, know, yeah. If yeah. I'm not mistaken, it's the only adaptation he's ever done. Like I mean, like Boogie Nights, original, original Magnolia, original Punch Drunk Love, obviously original. There will be blood, original Phantom Thread, which ironically is the only like feature length film of his I haven't seen yet. Well, there will be blood is actually based off a book called Oil uh, by um, Upton Sinclair. Thank you. Yeah, but oh, that, it apparently it's lo very loose. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. made his own film from it instead of going based off the book like a real adaptation. So, and speaking of adaptations, uh, I don't want to claim I'm the biggest Thomas Pinchon fan, not because I dislike his work, just because I'm not very familiar with it outside of the general. This guy writes very densely and very deep, so you have to go over it slowly, and even then, good luck getting it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which like gravity's rainbow is like people will talk about impossible adaptations i'm legitimately struggling to see how anyone would, would do something out with that book that would actually work outside of i don't know something like hbo chernobyl maybe obviously not the same tone but like the scope and the aesthetic right yeah i it's on my read list so brody you would consider this the black sheep of his filmography um generally yeah, speaking it's just because it's hard to explain. It's just there's something about it that's so unique. I mean, it's purposefully messy. And when, when someone talks about this film, they're like, I don't like it. It doesn't make much sense. It's confusing. I I completely understand it is. But it's yeah. purposely like that. That's it, It's not the about point. the story. It's yeah. about the characters. You, that reminds me of uh, one of the movies that inspired this was the, obviously The Big Sleep. And uh, yeah. during production, they had to keep out a chart to make sure the mystery <laughs> still made sense. Yeah. We're like, okay, does this connect to this? Does this connect to that? Et cetera, et cetera. That happens a lot with film noir, noir and especially neo-noir these days, considering how mm -hmm. uh, dense, more complicated film narratives have just gotten over time. And uh, yeah. 
right? I, mean, I think I remember speaking of which, uh, one of the reasons I was kind of intimidated to do this episode is because I'm not sure if I had anything new to add because Travis Woods from a uh, Brightwell Dark Room also works at the New Beverly Cool Guy. He started a podcast called Increment Vice. Basically, yeah. at each new episode, they t- they break down one scene in the film or another film at a time. Time with a new guest, like when Ryan Johnson's appeared on a couple episodes, they usually get a lot of good members of the film press. Great, wow. great listening. If you haven't checked that out, li- give it a listen. Yeah, I, oh, I've, like, I've been meaning to check it out. That sounds like an awesome, I- yeah. awesome idea for a podcast. It also sounds kind of daunting too. I'm like, oh yeah, look, I love movies, but I can't think of a single movie I mean, I could watch that many times in that short of a, or in a span of time to where I wouldn't hate it. Start too well, <laughs> if not hate it, at least get kind of annoyed. Yeah. yeah. Well, going back to um, like the technical terms of this film, uh, in terms of his filmography, I would consider this like stylistically, um, and technically speaking, I would consider this a decent mix of Punch Drunk Love and The Master, mm-hmm. just by the amount of the, like, the way this movie uses fades is a total. Me- it's despite being an adaptation, it feels like a total memory piece. Or in piece, the way or the way it reflects on a lost era. And I'm not even just talking about you know, like the broader sociopolitical leaning. This is the story I'm talking about specifically when how Doc processes it. Is it the way like it, when it fades over, like not necessarily Mulholland Drive it ish, mm-hmm. but it feel it feels like if something like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which does v- deal with a very similar time period, just slightly earlier, is like very much a dream version of fantasy version of this. This is like waking up the morning after after and still yeah. kind of hazy. Everything's still kind of ha- hazy, and you can't really tell what's real. Hazy yeah. is the best word I can describe. Exactly, it. Like a, a very hazy tone um, and transitions. I love the the slow fades. Yeah, I lo- I love the yes. fade where uh, Doc gets knocked out at the Chick Planet massage place, and it when he immediately shows to those flags in the sky and him just laying in the desert. Oh yeah. It also has one of my favorite lines in the film from a character we will definitely get back to. Congratulations, hippie scum! You just entered a world of inconvenience. Great character. But no, what Chandler said about the slow fades, I noticed every scene where there is exposition, the camera just slowly zoomed in as the conversations get deeper and deeper into the conspiracy. And we're learning more about what's going on, even if it may be confusing, but it gets so close that we feel like we're just in on this conversation with them. Like we're just over their shoulder listening as an audience. And it's just so awesome. And every oh. scene it has that, but it's awesome. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, the the push-ins, um, what you were, are referring to, those, that might be my favorite technical aspect of the film yeah. um which it is in like every scene mm-hmm. um but it just like it brings you in you know you don't even realize that it the camera is pushing in all the time but it it, it just grabs you um and yeah, i, I booth. oh yeah I, that that's one of the biggest things that i love about his style are the slow push-ins mm-hmm I just immediately I love think the, the shot from Phantom Thread where it's underneath the table and the dress is on the left side. And it's slowly pushing in on uh, Reynolds talking to Alma. Like that, that, that one sticks out in my mind because he does have a lot of good, uh, like There'll Be Blood where he uh, Daniel Plainview is introduced and like is slowly zooming in and then it goes, cuts to his son that goes back to him. Like it's just the way he moves the camera is just like, yeah, like a, a machine. It's just so perfect. It's always it's moving. Even Fincher level clinical, but it, but it's calculated. Yes, because I yes. think Paul Thomas Anderson, one of the things that I think people tend to, right, not like the average person with like film fan tend to miss is that his films are achingly human. Especially yes. this yeah. guy, I'd say probably my favorite of it is because it's the most achingly human of the bunch. And uh, one of the things you mentioned earlier about the mystery being complex is I don't mind that in film noir at all. At all oh, yeah. Because you and I, I think we've discussed, I mean, Brody and I, I mean, uh, discussed the idea that character is more ter- important than story. 
Yep. I mean, like, you have to care about the people in the story, or in the story, or the story be engaging. I'm like, the movie is so shaggy and, and unwinding, like, I don't care where this goes, I just want Doc to be okay, and uh, anything else, I'm groovy, man. Yeah. No, you're and right. Doc Sportello might be one of my favorite fictional characters ever. It's probably oh. my favorite Joaquin Phoenix performance. Oh, he's just spectacular, yeah. man. He like, really I think one of the things we generally underrate about him is he always does so many seri- serious dour role- roles. Even the, the part where he plays a literal clown is still dour, which we're not going <laughs> to no, go on Joker. The discourse has been dead for two months. I don't want to go back into that nightmare. Thank you very much. Uh-huh. My point is, he does. He can do lighter and lighter material, not only well, but exceptionally well. Oh, yeah. But, oh, God, look at her, something like her, where he's just the most charming guy. Or a guy like oh, he looks like a guy you'd want to give a hug. <laughs> like a very, right here he's like the shaggy. Right, Shaggy's like one of the most right, friendly characters I've ever seen. But by the and by the way, one of the things I noticed from the book is that, I mean, that a lot of the dialogue is beat for beat. Right, beat that's right, the only reason some of it's longer is just because of well, film on the page something can be like a sentence, but in a film that can go on for at least five minutes. Most. What, what I love I about Doc is, I'm sorry, what were you saying? No, you, you go ahead. What I love about Doc is because um, I'm very familiar with the film noir genre. In fact, I I write screenplays just as a hobby. It used to be to try to make money, but that's like fucking hard to do. So I do it for a hobby now. And my my main storyline is film noir. I wanted to make my own world and, and characters. And so I read up a lot about it. I have some books about it, about the genre. But what I love about Doc is he's... um. He's not the typical film noir protagonist. Yes, he's a broken down PI who uses some sort of substance to help him cope with things, but he looks like Neil Young, and he's exactly. uh, it's, he's a hippie, and he's he's not the typical an ex hippie too. Bulldog. And more, yeah, and, yeah. And that there's some actual. It's not that he's a young. Fun fact: Robert Downey Jr. almost played Doc, but uh, he was considered too old for the part. Yeah, but I think both by the studio and PTA. Do not quote me on that. That all I know is that he was in the running at some point. Mm-hmm. And came very close to it before they got Phoenix. And I think, I think one of my favorite things about this movie—it's not just that right, it, like at pretty much every other PTA movie, that this has an amazing ensemble. It's mm-hmm. one of the most well cast movie I've ever, right, I've ever yes. seen. Oh, right, it's like, exceptional! Like, right, like Joaquin Phoenix, perfect doc. Jo- right, Josh Brolin, per- perfect. Right, perfect. Right, Bigfoot, like the hard ass <laughs> to end all hard asses. Right, is the best one. Right, I love. Right, I love how he basically. I can't think of a single actor that embody or embodies this old school masculine GI or in or in GI man man or just the facts ma'am uh, archetype. It's got that look. Also, I'm begin actually after learning a little bit about the history of Dragnet over the last couple of weeks. I'm wondering how much of uh, Bigfoot's character is based on uh, Jack, the real guy behind that show, because he was a because uh, Jack Webb wasn't an actual cop, but he was fascinated with police, and uh, that's why he did Dragnet and. Pretty much changed the face in the face of crime, of crime fiction overnight. And with that TV show, like that's pretty much proto Miami Vice, proto or in proto CSI, all that stuff. So it feels like that even if Bigfoot wasn't the guy involved with that, because they do establish that he is an actor, and more so in the film than in the book, which I'll get back to later. I just found that it was an interesting real real world parallel, and I'm not sure how intentional that is. Mm-hmm. Speaking uh, speaking of this as an adaptation, uh, I read. Th- I mentioned earlier about the pension thing. This is one also one of my favorite book or any books because the language you you can just get lost in it because of how la- how languid and comfortable it all 
It was even in some fairly disturbing moments. Like, it's... and I'm not sure if I mentioned this already, but PTA apparently just poured the entire book into Final Draft and then just kind of worked his way backwards when writing the original script. Like, I think he wrote this before the Master was coming, was even developed. Wow. And he took on that film, and he took on that, ended up taking on that film first because that was gaining more traction. And I'm like, I'll put this on a shelf for later, and maybe as a pet project. Yeah. But I'm, but damn, am I happy it finally got made. It it's also, very it, novelesque, though. Like the the, I love the yep. voiceover. It's very just. God, like, I don't know what they're saying. By but the way, it's like it's so one good. of the things that was. I love it's it too. So I think it's Joanna Joanna Newsom, who I'm shocked so many actresses didn't blow up from the this because well, Hong Chao is in Jade, obviously fantastic. She has that oh, yeah. really snappy screwball comedy deliver. And <laughs> probably the only character whose jokes like land as like actual, or like recognizably as jokes and not dryly. Which I think one of the reasons or the benefits to reading the book first is that you start to recognize like the little random things in it. It's a movie that I don't think it hits people as really funny the first time they watch it. Because, but when it's funny, it is screamingly funny. Oh, it's oh yeah. I love. I mean, I think I mean, there's some great parts that are delirious, but we'll get into those in a moment. Man, my favorite. I think the parts where it gets the actual strangest, since well, this is a weird podcast about weird movies, is the Chris we finally meet. A- uh, the hmm. the guy that shit. We've been recording for like at least fifteen minutes, and I realized we haven't even talked about the story. Well, what is the story? <laughs> well, so so usual so usual story. Ex old lady waters into a detective's off. Wants him to find his cur- her current squeak. Way he encounters cor- corrupt cops. Crook corrupt cops. Ugh, sorry, I'm tripping over my wrong words today. And a crooked land deals. Cults. Oh, Wilson. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Now that I think about Owen Wilson replaced all the gunshots with Owen Wilson, wow. Did he say wow in this film? I don't think he did. I, I, don't I think, think so. he does, like, maybe once. And wow. anyway, way back to the sto- story, I'm like, that, I didn't think the fact that the... Here's the thing. The, I mean, after going, again, going through, seeing this movie so many times and, and actually reading, rereading the cover, the mystery actually does make sense. It doesn't seem that way at first, but you slowly piece it together. And I think what is lost on people is, that the, the movie doesn't, doesn't spoon feed to its audience, which, which I love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do too. Like, it's a, is that it's a movie you really have to pay attention to. Not even it's not even that dense and complex. Like, I think the, the title in Hair Vice really, literally just refers to the fact that Sha- I mean, that uh, Shasta Catherine Watterson's character just bothered to warn Doc, and the fact that if he hadn't been involved, pretty much nothing would have changed. Not in a mm. nitpicky uh, people in the way people bitch about Raiders Lost Ark if Indiana Jones was involved, which. That, which is blatantly untrue. True, if yeah. you actually watch the damn movie. <laughs> or more, or more like, well, it's one of those. If they call the cops, there'd be no movie situation. If they didn't, or in this case, not calling the cops. I still, by the way, speaking of which, I one of the things I love about Doc is that again, he's one of the things that annoys me about people and about when people talked about Under the Silver Lake, which uh, Chandler and I covered back in January. Where yeah. it was people are like, oh, it's just inherent vice, but with incels. Except it really isn't, and there's which that's messed up. Fuck, that's funnier now. About it out loud. Now, there's one key thing that I think separates the two films: perspective. I mean, because Doc is a very sympathetic character, character, even if he's not necessarily the smartest character. Andrew Garfield's character is pretty much anything but. Right. I mean, but that and uh, the movie, in her vice is undoubtedly an ensemble or in piece, even if Doc is pretty much the one factor or that. Or in, that it keeps showing up scene to scene, or in, 
Under the Silver Lake is a situation where one character is the primary focus and only the focus, and pretty much everyone else is an extra. Which I think is a very intentional cho choice on both ends. One is supposed to be a very human film, and the other is, well, very cold and selfish. I mean, I love the intro where, uh, I mean, it's the typical film noir intro. Yep. You got a PI. I mean, it, it is. God, it the is and it also the use of that fate. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, but I love how it switches up. It's not at night in this office where he's drinking scotch and he comes in. They it's have like late. It's, a, it's just in his apartment and they have a beer. Yeah. They have a beer. She shows up and in some. I don't even know how to describe that or that dress and that hairdo. Jesus. Yeah. It was it's like looking so the good. way she said she would never look. Yep. That great. Basically great selling out. Selling yeah. Out. Yeah. Yep. And I love, I how love the, that a lot the, of the. I'm sorry. <laughs> a lot of the narration is basically just the peeled from the book. Right, but it's not just like the main dialogue either. Either it is, it's amazing how faithful this adaptation and is while still being distinctly a P.T. Anderson picture. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know. I do love the narration. I yep. it's a big pet peeve of mine when uh, films rely on narration just to Which tell the story. I like where I like, like narration, but argument. there are situations where it's done terribly. Yeah, the the, the narration in this film it just complements the story so well, and it's not yep. overbearing by any means. Yep. They include, I mean, it's so good that they include it on the soundtrack, which, yeah. Oh, speaking of which, wow. that Johnny Greenwood score, man. Johnny Greenwood. Perfect. Right, per right. It's this perfect mi mix of like late like 60s fever dream surf rock thing. Actually, also, while I'm on it, fun fact, uh, the track Spooks was originally a song that, well, Radiohead was shopping around while on tour. It never made any of their albums, so Johnny Greenwood kind of took it to PT. And I'm like, hey, do you think we could repurpose it for this? I'm ass well, assuming that's actually in the final film. He, and he said, yeah. Yes, and he retooled it into what you hear, and it sounds gorgeous. Beautiful. It adds to the mystery, too. Yeah, it really compliments. It's a very, film. oh yeah, very mysterious vibe. I, yeah, I was gonna say while I was reading the book, I actually spent the uh, last four days in Newport Beach, which not where the film nice. was shot. It, I mean, it was actually uh, shot and modeled after uh, Manhattan Beach, which is like an hour away. But uh, this man sitting there in the rain in the sand, rain, listening to that Johnny Greenwood score while the tide goes in and, in and out. Perfect wow. atmosphere. Probably the most bliss I felt in a long, long time. The best that track is awesome. uh, when he drops off Owen Wilson to um, Amethyst. Uh, wife. Yeah, that's yeah. The best Funny thing, track. I actually saw a street there called Amethyst, Amethyst Boulevard. Really? That's cool. Yep. I was like, Am, have I been paying attention to this book and movie too much, or is that this real? I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> I'm like, it is a lovely track though because it's. I think, I mean, it's it's really sweet. I think it really captures mm -hmm. part of the heart of the movie. Or the movie, it's just this. It's just, it's just this general like string and harmonica ballad. It's really, really a lovely little piece of music. The uh, Neil Young tracks, I especially love yeah. this theme where they're running. I couldn't think of a better more. artist for this soundtrack yeah. than Neil Young for the soundtrack. Or like, good past. God, the use of yeah. good, the use of Harvest too. It's one of my favorite songs. That whole album of his is amazing. 
Mm-hmm. Amazing. And am, it might have come yeah. out after this movie set because this is like 70, 71, and that album didn't drop till 72 or in two. But oh, wow. I can forgive stuff like that because it fits the tones. I, like, I'm the biggest fan of Neil Young. And I think, yeah, what you said. Oh, we're going to talk a lot about him when we get to Dead Man. Don't worry. Okay, yeah. What, totally. No, but he fits the tone of this film like so yep, well. This, I, I wouldn't consider it gloomy, but what, like. Just broken n- hearted. It's a broken. It's yeah, a very yeah, yeah. broken hearted film. It's tragic, but you know? yes. but not exactly a sad film though. I mean, yeah, there's moments that, that are yeah. sad, and you know, like, like Shasta broken... clearly looking like she doesn't want. I mean, like she can't be I mean, the woman Doc. I mean, Doc wants her. To, I mean, wants yeah. her to be, but she still cares about it. It's it's a broken hearted depiction of the seventies yeah. and the the fact of uh, the early seventies, very er- yeah. and the very early seventies. Like this is the yeah. end of the hippie. I mean, post Manson, but pre Watergate. Yeah, po- which is dwelled on era. a lot in the book. Like I think in the film, it's all in Manson's only mentioned like I don't know, couple, two or three times, and Nixon's only mentioned once. To my not, I didn't watch it a couple. Also, first off, and aside from the book being a perfect re- beach read, this movie is a perfect late night movie. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. That that one scene where they uh they're running because they they think they scored from that Ouija board and they're running that that song oh yeah by in the rain. That's my perfect. favorite scene in the whole movie. Same, I think. Oh yeah, me too. Got it really right, that one shot of them right, sitting under the neon lo- right, light with right, yeah. with the rain is just gorgeous. Right, and the, right, just the warmth right, between right, in between the two act- actors, it's right, it's really it's just a sweet little moment. It's heart, it's legitimately kind of heartwarming. It and then it's heartbreaking when you too. cut when you when they fade immediately fade to the same location a couple years later. Right, yeah. Later and well, things are a lot empty. It's a hard cut. It. Yeah, yeah. It's a nice contrast. We I love that Doc this Happy. movie feels like the friend, like it's not the LA, LA that is in pretty much every film noir except for New York. For it is, for once again, for it is always New York and LA. <laughs> I use that joke right, as first off as a repeating joke when we're talking about limited releases and under the silver. Ironically enough, under the silver lake. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right, but now it also applies to film noir, considering how much of it is LA centric. For God's sake, Dashiell Hammett was a Pinkerton detective before he became a writer. I didn't know that. Pinkerton. Wow. Yeah, the go. They made a whole movie about it too with uh, Frederick For- Forrest from uh, Vim Vendors, actually, and Francis Ford Coppola called J- Just Hammett. It's not great, but it's interesting. That's going on the watch list. Yep. Good luck finding it, though. <laughs> yeah. What's it called again? Yep. Hammett. Hammett. Oh, thank you. Yep. Although, the- gotcha. I think another thing I love really love about the movie is that. Right, is that right? Here's the thing. Sort of liege. That'd be uh, Joanna Newsom's character, who is mostly the. And by and large, the narrator here, she isn't in the actual book or in the book, and it's actually played ambig or is slightly ambiguous whether or not she's even real. Mm-hmm. You know, the movie I think leans into that ambiguity beautifully, and I I think the or the decision to make her the narrator is kind of a stroke of genius. It's perfect. It's better than having Doc just narrate his. It, we have this character who's not really yep. a part of the plot. I mean, going over. Like, I think one of the other reasons. Or one of the reasons uh, the or the story gets lost on people, I think, is because a lot of the exposition is given to uh, Doc, who doesn't speak the clearest. No, no one speaks the clearest. They kind of speak in like idioms, you know. Right, not even just like talking like cryptic or in terminology. I mean, like literally that sometimes it sounds like they're mumbling. Yeah, which is it. Which it you get used to it over the course of the movie. It's not. It's not like Public Enemies where the sound design is wonky, legitimately wonky. It's just well, it's ver- very particular. It's like a mumbled. Uh, yep. It everyone speaks kind of mumbled. Yep. But it works. It's yeah. Consistent, speaking of, and speaking of which, uh, I want to go back to the cast. Uh, obviously, Josh Brolin. When we talk about how good Josh Brolin and Joaquin 
Aaron and Joaquin are, but I really love Benicio Del Toro's role in this movie, even yes. though I'm small. I'm like, I was going to say, between watching this and Fear and Loathing, I think Benicio Del Toro might be one of my favorite character actors. Yep. Because the dude right. can do insanely calm and laid back, laid back and unpredictable and bug-eyed all in one motion. The dude is a total wild card, and he's fascinating to watch. He's... I love his scenes. I love when he talks to Joaquin, yep. and he's just like, like, they're just... The I love the back and forth he has in or in he, the back and forth he has between Brolin and the police state. Yeah. Or in present, or in saying how much of a smart, how smarmy he is. Like he's a boat lawyer or something. Like it's so. Like maritime, yeah, yeah. Maritime, <laughs> the maritime importance law. of maritime law. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's great. I, I love. I love when he's at the restaurant the with Doc. Too, where they're just strolling yes. along. Yep. Everything's all right. Like it almost feels like something out of one of those fifties p or in public safety announcement or in films. Yep. I could see her a customer of discernment. <laughs> oh, yeah, he's great. Yeah, Chandler was saying about that scene where they're at that restaurant and, and Benicio's giving yeah. exposition. That's a great scene. It really oh, is. yeah. No, that is a is. really fun. By the way, uh, fun fact, Jillian Bell has a cameo as the waitress. Then, yeah, yeah. She's oh. hilarious. I'm like, I, could, I couldn't figure that out until like, wait a minute. And I'm like, I was, I was trying to look at you know, pictures of the cast from the movie. I'm like, I'm like where is she? And you're like, oh, right, she's the waitress who doesn't even we're gonna get like a close-up. And, and I'm like, I was just kind of laughing. Because I think this is the year she ran around the same time she was starting to break out. As an actor, like she started working with Seth Rogen more often, like legitimately funny, funny character actress. I think she was in uh, the same year as this, she was in the second uh, Jump Street. Jump Street. She was, yeah, yeah. yeah, she was one of the main antagonists. And uh, also, another role that I think is exceptionally well cast is uh, Reese Witherspoon. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, as this uptight government bureaucrat, but she clearly hates this, yeah, I mean, she clearly hates I mean, the system she's working in, but she kind of has to play along. Mm -hmm. Only that, like, she's prim and proper when she needs to be, but she's still recognizably a person, person, and not just a government stooge. We can get down with Doc. Right. Of course, oh God, that whole scene. Of, uh, walk the line. You know, they have that perfect chemistry. Oh, oh yeah, walk the line. I forgot they did that together. Right. Yep. Yep. That's one of those cats. I don't think Walk the Line is a great movie because I do think it's partially responsible for the uh, Wikipedia entry as movie or in variation of music biopics we've seen over the last 20 years granted it's mm -hmm. not the starter of it but it's probably the thing that popularized it more than anything i mean that yeah said, I, I think it, i think it's one of the better ones oh yeah it's definitely that's one of the fair. better ones because it's made although uh, yeah. yeah true but i also i think it's probably just entirely because of walk hard but i can't take that movie seriously at all it's entirely walk i think it's although actually i think about it bohemian rhapsody oh, oh definitely by leaps and bounds yeah Speaking anyway. of Reese Witherspoon, I love it. This is a little moment, but they're on the phone together because she thinks he's mad at him, and he's like, "You can come yeah. over and watch my feet." <laughs> yeah. She's like, "Ew." <laughs> I'll bring you a pizza today. Yeah, I, I do love the back and forth they have. Too. Oh, it's great. The back. I think my favorite relationship in the movie isn't even Doc and Chester or Doc and Penny, Penny or anyone else. It's it's the we're in the we're in the love hate frenemy or in front of me sort of thing that uh, Doc and Bigfoot have together. Yes, I love or, like, their good, relationship. Or, good God, the scene in the car where, where, uh, where, where uh, Josh Brolin's just enfilading that chocolate banana. Oh my gosh. I mean, that's just what two jokes that? in one. Or so one, it, it actually gains some meaning when you learn later uh, right, why he's doing that, but right, just in the moment as a, he's clearly doing this just to fuck with Doc, it's hilarious. It's like, do they hate each other? or Do they like each other? Because they talk. I'm like, to well, like it's clear friends. that they are, that they are um, from different stroke, strokes. One being this clean, cut, mild mannered, right, cop, and yeah. the other being well, shaggy hip, right, shaggy hippie dope fiend. In the words of the movie, <laughs> right. Which, 
and uh, I know this, I'm probably lingering so much on the cast, but this movie really is that, well, it's not even that they just got, and got a lot of good people to be in it, it's that every person they chose perfectly gets that role. Everyone yeah. is perfectly tuned into what Rin PTA is going for, and they accomplish it beautifully. Completely agree. I completely agree. And also, I mean, even character guys who show up in one scene like Martin Short, which oh. one of the most delirious, which oh, it's just so as, funny. if not more delirious, is in the book. I'm like that whole dentist. <laughs> yep, the golden for tax reasons. Yeah. Probably, also, probably the funniest Martin Short's ever been on film, at least in a long time. Oh yeah. Because he is deranged in this. Oh yeah. He's so much fun. And then they just like, oh yeah, he snapped his neck off screen. Which is supposed to be dramatic, but I yeah. is it weird that I kind of laughed at that? Well, the way they say it's funny, like this movie has pitch is that they don't actually that he pretty much disappears after that one scene where they're uh, stopped by the cops. I by the way, there's speaking of some jokes landing, like it's one, the part where uh, Dennis his docks a uh, young younger Beach Boys extra looking friend, yeah. looking friend stops. I mean, he comes running into the office with the wheel. I'm like that. I didn't even know he was like crashed the car earlier until I read the book. I'm like oh. I mean, just the little things are just dawn on you. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I'm sorry I crashed your car. I love, how, by the way, in the book, yeah, he's a more panic, but in the movie, I love how nonchalant Doc is about how he just fucked up his car. And he's like, Why the fuck did you do that, man? It's just Come like, Oh, man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I thought you could do it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, and uh, there's another casting bet that I'll probably have to save her off the mic because I'm not sure if it fits the podcast. I mean, but, uh, Keep an eye out for uh, Clancy, who plays Clancy Sherlock. Oh boy, the real life story behind that is fucking hilarious. Speaking of the comedy, um, this film, I think it has pitch perfect comedy. Yeah, it has slapstick, yep. but the slapstick fits the tone. It's, yep. a, the, the, the oh, tone it's is not so even that much it works, slapstick. You know? It's mostly no, yeah, just yeah. dry observational stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yep. It's also insane, I think insanely quotable at this point. Again, that line earlier I mentioned about hippie scum. And just like Pinchon's writing, I mean, the way I mean, he describes the Doc and Chasta's relationship drifting apart, them locating a, I mean, locating a different karmic thermal across the megalopolis, I'm like, this is dream. I mean, this is just wor- I mean, word poetry. I mean, okay, I think this just broke my brain. <laughs> I literally have no way to describe it. It's just, I love the way it's written. Mm-hmm. Like, it's enrapturing almost. I wrote some it, uh, lines down that I thought well, that fit the film noir thing really well. Like one of my favorite lines is, "It's a dark and only, it's dark and only work, but someone has to do it." Like that is that could be taken out I of love, any film noir mo- novel yep, or movie, you know? Yep. I love the line, "Doc may, er, may may not be a do-gooder, but he sure has done good." Yes, because it's per- it's perfectly in his char- It's perfectly describes his character. Like, like yeah, mm-hmm. he's obviously shady. Like he, er, like a god, he's a er, a private detective that smokes weed and ha- er, has a horrible memory memory and processing way that is relatively broken but he's still got a really big heart, right, big morals. heart to him. and at the end he does the right thing even if it doesn't really benefit him mm-hmm. and, and just get and getting Owen wilson back to his wife and kid mm-hmm. like, which great scene great, great sorry great scene when uh when yep. he meets her for the first time and she's talking about how they met like in the in the oh yeah <laughs> That was so funny. <laughs> oh god, the part the part that everyone knows from the tra- trailer where walking where she where Jenna Malone hands a walking Phoenix the photo. Yeah, the photo, and he just like screams like ah, and then mm-hmm. just like how quickly he turns on that is that's a beautiful little grace oh, note of comic god. timing. Great scene, so funny. I love how she just describes like how they met. It's just so grotesque. She's just saying it like it's nothing. It's like a vampire. It just sucks the calcium out yeah, of your teeth. Yeah, yeah. Heroin. 
And then we just started shooting up regularly. <laughs> yeah, no, that was so funny. Responsible drug use. Yeah. Jenna Malone, great actress. If you guys haven't seen Neon Which, Demon, Nicholas yeah. Oh god, she's so Neon good Demon. in that. Yeah. She's Watch an that. actress who I think it, like Carrie Mul or like Carrie Mulligan and really needs to have a big showy role. Yeah. Well, I mean, like one of those she's been done I mean, like she's been so good in a lot of stuff that she's not even been in that many great movies, but when she I mean, shows up, it's always nice to see her. Mm -hmm. She's even great in something I mean, as messy as Sucker Punch, which I actually still like that movie, but I will not deny deny that there is some parts of it that just kind of fall apart. Right. I think of what else I also had a few other no I mean, notes in the I mean, on actually I mean, what the differences between the book and the movie. The yeah. movie once, other than so, I mean, the jokes hit with. I can't tell if it's just the fact that when, when you're reading a book or a book, things just hit more clearly, right? Clearly, but the jokes hit more like jokes. Mm -hmm. right there, there's a whole section set in my hometown of Las Vegas, right? Because that's completely cut from the movie and probably wisely, because literally, I mean, the whole joke behind that scene is that Doc doesn't learn anything and just wasted his time. Right. I mean, because literally any mention of it thereafter is literally character asking, "Why the fuck did you go to Vegas?" Mm -hmm. Like. Other than making, it's just brushed over like a quick montage of newspaper headlines. There's also a lot of other like weirder detail details. Like there's a subplot involving the early internet. The early internet. Don't ask. There's a lot of references to old movies, especially old John Garfield film noir, and gangster and films and sci and sci-fi movies, and a lot of song lyrics. Like it's almost as dense as well. Going back to Under the Silver, like the actual script for that, it feels like, but less conspiracy driven or more. It's, it's more it's the book movie. is more held up on the minutia, the minutia of the time and play. Like so the movie is more about the characters. If that makes sense. Which I think, I don't think this is a situation where the book is better than the movie or the movie is better than the book because I'd say they're both on par just for different reasons. Mm -hmm. It's a matter of focus ultimately. Speaking of films within the film and just the jokes within the film, I love the uh, when the doctor is like uh, reciting lines from. Uh, the old noir film that they're watching. Oh um, yeah, that was, oh, right. That was I oh, yeah, I love yeah. all the little bits of uh, or in a or in a Bigfoot appearing on TV too. Or like oh, the, yeah. that ad. By the way, that uh, ad, or that first ad we see him in, I think, was an ad, an addition of the movie too. Right too, the part where he's just dressed up in that terrible hippie costume. Costume oh, yeah. and the part at the end where the where the picture expands and he and uh, he walks up to the camera and like what's up doc what's and up doc's yeah. like, Wait. <laughs> I think that's the only time where the movie actually develops in a pure or devolves in a pure fantasy which it's still a really funny joke or enjoy but it is one of the moments where you start to question what what you're seeing is real because if you think about it all this could happen real mm -hmm. realistically it's the way it's presented that makes it all feel weird no it's Jack you're you're right because that's a good setup. To help show Again, the audience that this is might be a hallucination, yep. that this movie's gonna have I, some paranoia like the, and all this like stuff. Like the music you know? they use after uh, Doc gets knocked out, knocked unconscious at the or at the massage parlor. Or in a parlor, it's this it's this weird or in a, like or in a, it's this weird like um I don't I want to say or in a, like floor or in a floral or an islander track or in a, with this really weird uh trump or an orchestral flair to it. Yeah, like and builds and builds. Yep, and the yeah. and the shot of him just waking up in front of that wave of. Or of cops. Of or cops. An, oh, that's, or that's or beautiful. Or a beautiful. Or it's not just like a cool shot. It's legitimately a great joke. Oh, One yeah. of the things that annoys me about comedy these days is how much it ignores film or basic filmmaking tools. And I'm like, you can get a joke out of a single shot. Yep. You don't even have to. Or like, you're, there's opportunities here you're all just missing, which I think the mood is that. Or you can get get good or in good laughs out of just nuts and bolts filmmaking. 
everything is so cl- clearly thought out. Yep, it's yeah. it's a movie where every decision is intent or is clearly meditated on, even if it doesn't make, make in total sense. Like mm-hmm. clearly, this is intent. The movie Paul Thomas Anderson wanted to make. This oh, absolutely. Every- it's a very spe- specific yeah. tone and um yep. just overall vibe. It's like what if Vim Vendors made Zabriskie Point, <laughs> which probably would have been a better movie because it would have just been more and more than two or than two surfer dude or and got or people watching around or walking around the desert while Pink Floyd plays in the background. Which that by the way, that Pink Floyd soundtrack is the only good part of that movie. Like I love or I like or Michelangelo and Tonioni. I mean, like I like Blo- Love and I really love that Je- Tony did with Jack Nicholson, the passenger. But when he Ernie did Ernie missed, he missed. I want to go back to the some of the film noir tropes. I love how this yep. film takes those the, some of these tropes and kind of plays with yep. them. Like one of the biggest one is does it take place like you said, Jack? It's not in L.A. or New York in a dark, dank city. It's in like it's a very much the French vibe. Yeah, yeah. The and, beat, like good guy, very happy and kind of bright. Well, sunny. I think it does play. I mean, it also plays across with Ryan Docs or in pain of sort. Ryan sorts mm-hmm. is that well, yeah, well, yeah. Obviously, having Ryan imagery is usually ju- juxtaposed against Sabbath Ryan imagery all the time. Good God, there's a scene in uh, the first lethal Ryan weapon Ryan where uh, Riggs is about to commit suicide Ryan inside while a Christmas Looney Tunes short Ryan is on TV. Mm-hmm. Like this is not a new thing, but the way it's framed here makes it feel new. There's only that one scene where he's in the alleyway and he meets Jade and it's kind of smoky, the God. silhouettes. Like that's a great scene, but that's like really that in the shooting scene towards the end. Like God. the only really real oh, yeah. film noir like scene. And, and good God, Owen Wilson with that bucket hat covering his eyes. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I've ever oh, seen well. a character look in or look intimidating yet completely goofy at the goofy, same time. Yeah. Owen Wilson scene. Owen Wilson was a perfect cast. For that he's role also, too. His character is also a bigger part in the book or in the book too. Like he's usually on the forefront. They actually go in deep into his musical career. Like he play or in playing with ba- or in bands like the Trashmen, the Venture, or the Ventures. Dude was a sax. Or like he has a more fleshed out backstory. Or in is more than or in just some uh, burnout sax player. But he's a big like part of the plots. Like he really is. Like, right, in the movie, he, I mean, he writes out that thing on the on his wall. Coy is like the third on the right. You yeah. know, so he's a huge part of the story. Yeah. I love that. Speaking of which, one, Randy, there's there's actually a bit that is per, speaking of bits of, of the book that are perfectly translated the screen or into the screen. Uh, the bit where they're all recreating the Last Supper in that photograph, yeah. that's in the book, beat for beat. Oh, nice. Like, which, huh? I figured that would have been a touch he added himself. Like, that is not because it's such a uniquely cinematic way of doing it, and that I just very specific, um, like huh. joke too or reference. Right. Yep. I mean, it's not not exactly an uncommon one, but the way it's sta- or in a stage makes it feel. That's I think where a lot of film originality comes from. It's not the subject matter; it's the way it's shown, it's shown and portrayed. Yeah, the execution. It's the perspective. Yeah. It's a matter. Of... Also, the right, uh, another thing I mentioned earlier is uh, that pancake joke and joke between <laughs> that with a uh, Bigfoot. That's only one line, but I love that PT. Or, yeah, he pretty much stretched that into, into like an entire couple minutes. Moto <laughs> Hey, I I. that's a great scene one of my favorite scenes though and i love how pt switches like it's it's really funny we have this scene with him and adrian fight that nazi comes in and they kind of he smokes the the joint and passes him out it goes from really kind of tony funny to serious because he's he's like shackled up and that nazi's like we got the best number four and then like he's gonna you know kill him and doc's freaking the hell out he's trying to figure it away and that whole scene is just so intense it really is we see how doc gets out with that credit card piece from his sandals like it's so 
so intense, and it's just, and then it. I was gonna say, like, it also shows that Doki isn't exactly, and is a bit, a bit unpredictable too, or too, because despite the fact that it's been shown that, yeah, he's a well or in good nature, but he, and he's not regarded as kind of a stoner dropout for a good reason, or mm-hmm. reason stuff like that shows that he can be incredibly resourceful, or resourceful like, oh, this is why people still hire him. Right. It's a yeah, good little moment. It's a great outside of an important was, plot point too. He was prepared and he got himself out of the situation. Well, like, oh, Really smart. Really. One of the one of the funny things I love about this movie is that another film that inspired this was uh, Robert Altman's *The Long Goodbye*, which uh, if you've seen that, yeah, God, these would make a double a great double feature. One of the things I love about that is that it kind of builds upon the deconstructionist angle of that movie, because at the end of the movie, spoilers for a movie that came out in 1973, but whatever. I mean, Marlo Marlo kills his best friend. Not be, out of like some savage cold heartedness, because well, he faked his own death and basically let him on this wild goose ran chase with with uh with hassles by the cop, ran cops and other assorted parties. Ran parties like, yeah, you're fine with it at the end because of how care. And the, I think it builds on that whole attitude by well, ran the obviously the whole Milky Wolfman uh, the the land of Elvery is supposed to attack the task at the beginning. He's mm-hmm. found like by the two hour mark, ran mark and pretty much becomes irrelevant. Yeah. I mean, yeah, like you realize, oh, well, never mind. That's this isn't important at all. But it's not he, in a way that feels disappointing. But it's not in a way. No. I thought his line was pretty funny. He was like, "Hey, little hippie." Their dialogue. I I just thought that, that was yeah, funny. but just how loopy he is in this yeah. <laughs> in this terrible mental institute. Yeah, I love. I also love that how they try to just or justify the bald or the bald skinhead dude. They're like. It's not a swan. It's not a oh, Nazi yeah. thing. It's those, which is technically true, but right. come on, it's a fucking swastika. Come yeah. on. No, right. I thought that was hilarious. So, come on. I'm like, just stop looking at him. Like it's it, clear, even not, the doctor is uncomfortable. Even yeah. the doctor is uncomfortable. They're watching the doctor movie. is so like squirmy. Yep. Yeah. He he feels like a character out of an right out of a Tim and Eric bit. Oh yeah, he's a little over the top, but it works well for the yep. film. Yep. Yeah. That scene where he's uh, mouthing the 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 dialogue from that movie they're watching. Oh, that was so good. God, the production design in this too, or in two is great. Like that oh. Chris Kyle Nolan. It's yeah. this weird, like new agey thing. The whole movie just it has this really great feel. Wait, which I it's design. also part of, like good God that go, that giant golden fang building, which is exactly like that. It's like that in the book too. Which honestly, how much money do you think it had to have cost them to do that? That, that was, was all CG. CGI. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was gonna. It looks good for CG though. Like it doesn't look like. Yeah, like I was gonna say, I'm gonna say it is seamless. By the, I love going back to the part with the Neil and Young month journey through the past montage. I think the way, the way it goes back and forth through those two memories is seamless. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, one of the, it's so sad. We just wish Doc was that happy yeah. again. We want him to go back to that yeah. time, but that's I honestly, works. which is one of the reasons I, I was originally very confused by the end. Not in a this doesn't make sense, but more like the tonal. Only because it seems kind of creep, I mean, kind of creepy and well, a lot darker. But the end, but when you actually listen to the dial or the and get to the music, music, there's something kind of light in it. Or I mean, because I don't know, maybe this is just my interpretation. But when when Doc asks if they're or Shasta, if they're gonna get back back together, and she's like, not a chance. He or the way he kind of smiles to himself, I think shows some real character growth. I'm like, you know what, I can live with that. Yeah. Or like there, there's something on. oddly heartwarming. That and the use of that or that or that old fifty or fifties Motown song and. He, is just a really lovely little note to end it on. Mm-hmm. Yep. Who you know? 
granted, I think that I do like the ambiguity of it. Like, it, yeah. like it's one of those things where you can't draw any interpretation and not really be wrong. Well, the film is ambiguous in the first place, so it kind of fits. You know? Yeah, it's hazy. It's true. It's true. One of the things I love, another thing I love about this, I'm not sure if I got to, is the Robert Ellswood photography. Good. This might be the best thing he's ever shot. Shot. The whole movie has that old 60s postcard feel to it. Oh, yeah. And not just the shot of, well, a literal postcard Dodge mail slot. Dodge. Very well, the, way it, the, way it the way it photographs the color and the colors and, and frames the beach. Right in the beach and the shore, right the shores and all the build, or in the exterior locations. It's just, it's just how, not even like in a nostalgic way, just a way someone looking back. Yeah, one one thing I I think is always um done better and like the majority of time of the time is done um when shot on film is that the background is always out of focus and it works. Yeah, I yeah. I love so that well too. It also film. give it also I think film and it's not just the grain too. It just gives the right, things texture. Like I think yeah. again, going back to Increment Vice, uh, one of the things in episode where they talk about they're talking about the or the episode where they talk about the scene in uh, Chick Flanagan saw saw one of the lo things lost in the modern age of film is how skin used to look, which that like when when he brought it up, like the more I think about it, shit, he's right because there actually is like even if it's not and not always pleasant, it's still got texture to it. It feels real. Like there's, I remember uh, there was a video about Mandy, which we're probably going to be talking about in October. We're talking about how film grain is a, kind of an art form in and of itself. So, so they use this part of an interview with Steven Spielberg, Berg, where it's just like a still shot of a flower at a table. Yeah, well, but because of the film grain, there's a, re a sense of life to it. Yeah. Like, it feels anal analog and well earthy and gritty. I mean, which is a thing I love. I don't know who's I think, I also it. love I also love how right, how the right, the colors are still striking even if they're faded. Right. Like good god those skies. Right, those skies and those interior right, those right, those faded colors on the beach houses. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. A lot of By the way, in Newport, uh, good god, every house is basically looks like that. Every little Oh nice. It still looks like of... that you're you're in like we're in 60, 60, at this point like 50, 60 years later. On my um, third watch, a lot of I noticed that a lot of the colors are due to the production design rather than the lighting, which yeah, which I like actually. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, this is a movie that only had twenty million, mil, or a million, but it uses every penny of that, or oh, that wow. perfectly. Which, oh yeah. It's a shame it didn't make that budget back too, because I wish that. I'm also happy that or that it didn't go the extremes because I, when reading rereading the book, I could totally see this being made into a, a much broader farce. Like saying like more outwardly comedic and less soulful, mm -hmm. but on the other hand, I can also see something like or in the A twenty four Annapurna picking it up, and I've been le really leaning into or into the whole coffee shop hipster hipster <laughs> leaning into it way too much. Yeah, I'm like I'm glad the movie strikes that balance because it's not a, what I call a commercial film or in a film, but it's not exactly art house either. It sits in that weird middle ground. Yeah, art tour. Yeah, maybe not art tour, but or in the material, but grounded. Like, yeah, yeah. I don't know who said this earlier. Consider... Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, you go ahead. Well, I mean, I don't know who said this earlier. I think it was Jack. Where uh, PTA's films are very, um, uh, very human, and I love how every one of his films, you can go through his whole filmography, and they're all just very like, like the characters. It's mostly about them, about their journey. And we get to this one. It's not his work. It's not his writing. But he still manages to take that human as style of his into this film. Because all the characters are just alive. Like, we, we feel like we're actually there with them with this journey. It's, it's really impressive how he can take someone else's work and still put his yep. human touch 
onto the, the 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 picture you know it's really amazing which for one thing i think should be the goal of adaptation because yeah. I mean, it's I, mean, I think it should earn be in or in someone else's interpretation of the original or an original work or in work and not just trying to be a direct translation there are very few exceptions or exceptions where that's actually works. Like Sin, I think Sin City is the only one I can think of off man. And I argue argue Zack Snyder's Watchmen then is a very personal film to him because a lot I do see a lot of Zack Snyder in that movie, not just I mean, despite how well almost religiously faithful it is to its source material. I love that movie. Oh, but that's a, that yeah. is a discussion that could, honestly is in a whole other can of worms. That is a whole that movie. I would yep. consider Fight Club more of a um like direct yeah, yeah exactly mm-hmm. right, where it's recontextual. I'm trying yeah. to think of what else I was going to say about Paul Thomas Anderson making. I did really just lost my train of thought there for a minute. Well, I, I think that uh, The Master is his best work. That's my favorite film of his. And it, the way he. I, that's a, I want to do an episode of some sort of podcast about The Master. There's so much you could talk about it, but that movie just feels so real. We might. Really just strange. Characters. I'm not against it. I, I, I need. I need to uh, rewatch it. I've only seen it once, but I I loved it. Yeah, it's a movie that I, mean, I don't I don't think it had quite had the exact same uh, play to or what I call the play to get effect or an effect, mm-hmm. but it definitely lingered in my in mind, and I just it grew on me just gradually over over time in like the years since I've seen it. Yeah, again, the casting was just yep. so good, and oh, I miss C- Philip Seymour Hoffman so much. Oh yeah, it's great, man. He's him in that role in the the master is yeah. just like unbelievably amazing. It's I also crazy. think one of the reasons the master is so strong is because, well, clearly this is based on the early days of Scientology. There's pretty much no, right, no denying that. Like, there's in the part where uh, or in that one in one interview between Hoffman and Phoenix, or in Phoenix, where he's asking him like these personality test yeah. questions. Yeah. A lot of those are drawn directly from Scientology's actual well psychological right. probing. Great. Or in, like beat for beat, word for word. That's we're the we're about, the movie's not just a giant haha. Isn't Scientology ridiculous? No, we're it's a list, but it actually piece. does how people or how people get drawn into it. I mean, how it ultimately becomes kind of a trap for them. Or like like how or, um, what's his his name's I think his character name's Lancaster Dodd, right? Yeah, Lancaster yeah. Dodd. Yeah. Or like or how he eventually ends up feeling like a trap while uh, Phoenix ends up or, taking all the worst parts of it and making it into a sort of home for himself. I mean, what starts out as or a, a friendship ends up feeling a lot more da- dangerous. And how Freddy's able start, to just leave. Basically, the, the how gradually or, uh, Hoffman realizes what he's created. Mm-hmm. Or, it's a or, it's a, such a good whole thing, and like that speech between him at the end, you know, and oh, how yeah. vindictive and angry he is towards him. Like, it's oddly satisfying in a way because Freddy Quell is a ba- such a bastard. Yeah. I mean, the best line is when he's like, you know, if you tell, if you, you something like, um, I'm, I'm quoting it badly, but you know, you don't have Paraphrasing. to answer, but tell us when you, when you figure out how you can do that, tell us because Freddy's the only character that doesn't need to have a God or a master to go through life. He just does what he wants. He just wants to fuck drinks. And then just like, you know, primitive uh, aspects of a human. A complete, he's a complete danger to himself and others, but he doesn't need a master. And, and Philip Seymour Hoffman wants to know how does, how can he do that? Like, how could you go through How to well master? keep him under control and the real life? Yeah. Yeah. It's great. Great movie. I would I would consider that uh PTA's most underrated film. I and I'd agree or I think people didn't assume it was gonna be one of his most popular films because it's not I mean, it's not the biggest thing. It doesn't have I mean, have the stuff or I mean, the stuff that we're I mean, gonna make Magnolia and there will be blood and boogie nut or I mean, like stick out in people's memory. Or I mean, not as a, I mean, a negative criticism, I'm just saying it's a much it's a much smaller, less showy yeah. movie. 
He's even said that's his that's yeah. his best work. That's his favorite of his films. That's honestly, his, that's yeah, his and he should be proud agree. of it. He should be. Yeah, the master. Oh, yeah, the master. I I I heard him say that um, Magnolia is the best movie that he could make. Yeah, I read that too. But I think there was a recent indie indie wire article where he uh listed his favorite films and the master was one of them and he kind of said that that was his best work um, okay which, yeah that's so probably magnolia, more recent magnolia is which it's not my favorite of his but that is such it's such a big heavy I, I, that i think a, i think i would consider that my favorite of his I, as right it's now. not my favorite of his it's because stupid. well i do i do think i do have some problems with and i some it is the length but ult ultimately if anyone says that they're, that's their favorite pta movie i wouldn't i, I wouldn't talk about it because it is a solid choice. I see why it clicks with people. Yeah, I mean, but all of his films are still neck okay. and neck to me. But uh, yeah, Magnolia. I'd I probably hang on. Literally, the only one of his or like theatrically released films. I'm not counting uh, that film he did with Johnny, that documentary he did with Johnny Greenwood. At least not yet. Right, but I'd yeah. rank them. Uh, I'd rank mine as such. Right, right, at least, best to best. Punch Drunk Love, Magnolia, Hard Eight, There Will Be Blood, The Master, Boogie Nights, and Inherent Vice at the top. And I like him, Punch nice. Drunk. I have not seen Hard Eight. Hard Eight's re- really good. Hard Eight's a great, great debut. And one of the best oh, movies about Nevada yeah. I've, ever, I've ever seen. Like, it's not technically set in My Vegas, list. but it does definitely capture Vegas. Yeah, it's definitely, it has that vibe. And, I mean, you're from Vegas, yep. you said, right? So it probably really hits home yeah. for you. And I could honestly do an entire book about, right, about the way Vegas has been, or it has and hasn't been shown on the screen, which... Right, both the ways I think it's gotten right and more than annoying. Like, okay, we've seen enough of the strip. Show anything besides the desert and the strip. Because people do live here, you know, right? Because <laughs> I was gonna say Chandler, how would you rank his films? Because you did you say he was your favorite director, or did I mishear that? Um he yeah, he's neck and neck with uh Kubrick. Okay. Me. Nice. But That's um tough choice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I would I would say Magnolia, um, Inherent Vice. There will be blood, punch drunk love, boogie nights, but they're all still very, very I close. Need to rewatch um, punch like... drunk love because I saw it back in January and I'm I mean, like, all... it, it didn't really hit me right. I don't know, maybe it just just wasn't in the mood or in a mood. But for some reason, well, I'm like, oh, why yeah. isn't this clicking with me? Because there are times where I don't like something as someone else, well, and I don't, I don't, yeah. my mind doesn't automatically assume, oh, it must be over. Right? I'm like, maybe I'm just, or I just need to give this a little while to hit or to hit right with me. Not everything hits, and then like the master and phantom threat, I, like there there are many ties within that. Um, I mean, like they're they're all just an equally they're an equal amount amount of exceptional. Tread lightly here um, that I couldn't right, say one is better than. I'm gonna another. tread lightly here because of how. What much, about you, uh, Brady? Or how or how much or how much actually can't definitively be said, but from I remember reading an interview once that uh, phantom threat was actually uh, developed because of his relationship with Maya Rudolph. And that part of his, or the feelings mm-hmm. he had about his relationship yeah. with Fiona yeah. Apple, yeah, 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 again, yeah. I cannot quote this with, with absolute certainty, were kind of channeled into inherent vice. It's not a theory. I th- I'm not sure okay. how sure that is, but I can definitely buy it. Or any concern. About missing. I, I saw in, uh, I watched the press con- one of the press conferences for this film, and he said that if he had to sum up what this film was about, it's about missing yeah. people. Yeah, you can clearly see that too. Oh, yeah. Because, like, there's so many, you know, he misses um, Shasta and Owen Wilson's wife, misses her, uh, yeah, Owen yeah. Wilson, yeah. and so many other um, relationships yeah. throughout the film. 
Well, before we go back, yeah. if, I, if I had to rank my my PTA films, um, I'd go from best to to least best. But okay, I said best I to least it, best earlier I because I hesitate to use worst. I because it's such a no. negative connotation to it. And I want and yeah. well, in this case, all the films are ten out of tens for me. They really are all of them. So I would go The Master, uh, Phantom Thread, There Will Be Blood, Inherent Vice, Boogie Nights, Punch Drunk Love, um magnolia then heart eight i mean they're all I, I love them all equally like chandler said they're all equally just spectacular in their own ways and i it's it's hard to say none of them are bad I, i'm serious i mean he's my only filmmaker As, i think is that he's not every single time he's not i and i agree that i mean it's very rare to stumble on a filmmaker who has been consistently good it's amazing because even the best like even like and Spielberg have bad films. I mean, not bad films, but not as sub, as up yeah. to par as they usually do. You know, which like is, even some of my yeah. favorite directors have some pretty big misses. I mean, like, mm-hmm. I mean, like I love, I mean, like I absolutely, love, I mean, I love Ralph Bakshi, but you will never catch me defending Cool World outside of <laughs> I mean, the, I mean, like the background art and stuff and the original concept because this is a. I mean, if you look back through that I mean, pre-production history, it started out as a much more interesting, much darker film. Mm-hmm. Yep. But uh, PTA puts out movies yep. so fast. Not relatively. Yeah. Like, I remember, he, which is weird to me that I remember uh, back to it's that episode of uh, in Increment Vice with Drew McQueen. When he, one of the things he's talking about is how rarely he works. Like, he still puts out a movie every three years. He's not, he's not Terrence Malick mm-hmm. where he's, where he used to go like dec- entire <laughs> decades where, which I mean, I get why, why because it does, I mean, I get why when he falls under that impression. I mean, no, one because he's a dude who's been writing for, about film for longer than I've been alive, but and, but al- mm-hmm. also because his films feel deliberate, or deliberate like or in a way to, or in a thought, like each one feels like it's been worked on for a long time, like this well-crafted piece of art. Yep, with all with all the he takes with all with all the, imper- he, he I mean, all, I mean, all the lo- I mean, lovely little details and imperfections that come with. There's a hand. Mm-hmm. There's something that feels like genuinely handcrafted about it. No, it's just it, you could tell that he puts all of his passion in everything. Like it's amazing because in Phantom Thread, he didn't have um his usual cinematographer, Robert. How do you yeah, say Robert Elswit, right? He actually shot it himself, didn't so he? So he did it himself. And I think hot take. I think that may be his best looking film because that film actually looks like it was filmed in the fifties. It's quite I, amazing. May, maybe I st- again I still haven't seen it. And before Twitter jumps on me, I'm sorry. There's a lot of famous stuff I still haven't seen. Like I only watched Apocalypse Now last summer. For the first time, yeah, I'm pretty sure I watched that for the first time. I want to uh, see, last, I want to see that in 70 millimeter or in one of the theaters in LA one of these days because I have to imagine this plays cool. as an experience on a big screen because it it makes me think. I was going through a or speaking, which I was watching a video about a Christopher Nolan or Nolan how IMAX made it or using the format of IMAX made him a better filmmaker and like now that I think about it. It, I mean, the way you watch something is incredibly important, like how big a screen is, because some things are framed for that. I mean, like some, like an image that can seem I mean, giant on I mean, on screen can seem relatively meaningless on something like a, the average TV or smartphone. Like, like your, like yeah. your, like yeah. your phone, David Lynch on your fucking, on your fucking telephone. telephone. Yes, yes. I <laughs> love that. Speaking of, David, I know this is a tangent within tangent within tangent, but uh, I love that he's back to doing his daily weather report again, <laughs> David. Oh, he's a he's a gem. God I bless. Him. I still I also love that it. You're fucking telling. Yep. Fun fact: he's also an Eagle Scout, which I am too. Yep. Oh wow. Wow. 
I know that. Yep. He so, actually he actually puts it in his Twitter bio too. I'm like, I like how he's proud that he, he is proud of it. Yep. And not the guy I would have expected, considering how he makes stuff like blue velvet. Which we have a story about. I actually want Art yep. Life. The Art Life, which I've seen, I need to finish it. I I started this in sometime in last fall, and I never got around around to seeing it through the end. I watched, like yeah. I liked what I saw though. I, was, I watched it a few weeks ago. It, it's great. Yep. Anyway, back to the Christopher Nolan IMAX. Next thing is, I'm so reminds me. Uh, I saw Lawrence <laughs> of Arabia for the first time as a ran with a thanks to um. Ooh. Or in last fall, or in a fall, I mean, back in September, or thanks to one of those not TCM Fathom events screening, screenings, and they included the intermission and everything. It was great. Or I'm like, I couldn't imagine watching awesome. that for the first time any other way. And oh, also, yeah. I I remember seeing 2001 in IMAX, and uh, that I mean, that Stargate sequence near the end with all those Ooh. psychedelic color and colors and those shot those shots of the eye that hits you so much differently in a good theater with good surround sound. It becomes an experience, mm -hmm. like it melts your brain. Man, far out. Anyway, yeah, I I cannot watch movies yeah. on my computer, much less a cell no. phone. Yeah, yeah, I've yeah. never watched a movie on a cell phone. Oh, or yeah, like no. mainly because I'm like well, YouTube I, videos, I, maybe or in sure, or in sure, but not something like that. Not because it's I mean like this pretentious, disrespectful filmmaker, because I cannot catch everything on it. That and it burns through data. That and it burns like crazy. I'll... Anyway, have you guys seen anything else worth mentioning recently? Please. Oh, if I could bring this up. Go it ahead. actually involves our uh, inherent Go ahead. discussion. So, as much as I would love PTA to make a traditional film noir, kind of like the Coens did with The Man Who Wasn't There, which if you haven't seen that, watch it. Yeah, I, and I will definitely um, agree, Brody, on that. Probably my favorite Coen Brothers film. Oh my god. Um, same here, and it's 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 Deacon's yeah. best work. I don't care. It really it's is it's either that or twenty forty nine wow. for me. Just the use of color. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's a tie. But I've watched. I recently watched a classic film noir. I've watched one every now and then called The Dark Corner with Lucille Lucia Ball Bell from I Love Lucy. It's, I still can't believe. Yeah, yeah, I'm like, wait, yes. she did a film noir. It's like yeah, it's called The Dark Corner. You, I've never heard of it before, so I watched it on my. I have this app. I there's a bunch of movies on there, and that to me. It's my second favorite behind Murder My Sweet. Great movie. But um, that to me is the perfect definition of a classic film noir. You got the broken PI, you got this convoluted mystery, which is a really fucking good mystery. Like the plot is like, holy shit, this is from 1946. It's so, so yep. good. It has all the classic tropes I love. And I would recommend it. But compared to this inherent vice and how PTA plays with those tropes, it's very yep. interesting. Very, very I think ultimately the it's funny you mentioned Murder My Sweet because I mean, because I think the I mean, the I mean, classic film, I mean, a detective writer that this resembles most is Raymond Chandler. Yep. Oh yeah. I mean, this is. Yeah, it's a total. It's basically a shaggier, looser, more, I mean, more uh, countercultural Raymond Chandler. Yep. And I, hot take: I like Bogart. Bogart is good, but like he's too distracting. He's kind of like. John is that he's Wayne, too much of a movie star? So like, is that? He, yeah, and then and and um. In uh, Murder My Sweet, it's Dick Powell, and he actually feels like the character of uh, Philip Marlowe. You know, like you feel like you're watching the character instead of the actor. Yeah, that that's fair, and that's a I mean, which is why, I mean, honestly, I think there are times where a movie star can I mean, can be distinctly the movie star, but still be great. Like Good God in a Lonely, Bogart's performance in a Lonely Place, I mean, place is one of I mean, those. I mean, hey, this is how the world sees me on screen. How about we play with that a little bit? That's one of the greatest versions of that I've ever seen. Because he goes I to some agree, really yeah, fucking dark territory, not just for the time, but relatively speaking now. You know, the mm -hmm. play, in the way he hints at it. 
I'm so sad that I left the Criterion channel recently, because like, I that I did rewatch it, and it is still one of the one of my favorite film noirs. Chandler, have you yeah. seen any classic film noirs? Honestly, and I'm not no. Just, I mean, like, I'm not just talking about like uh, the '70s stuff. I, I would like you know, to. I can give you a list. You know, just I'll give it to Jack. Uh, I can give you a what's, list. What's your What's your letterbox, Brody? Uh, Hang on, see. I will send you the link right now. I actually. Oh, cool. That works too. Yeah, I have a list like, of classic film noirs you can just go through. It's on one of my lists on my page. Oh, nice. Thank you. I will do that. I've been writing down um, the names of all the films y'all are hey. talking about. Um, I do that. With I, you, write, Jack. I send you, you too much. There are too many movies to check out. Because there are times where no, I'm, no. Because I'm like, I've seen so much stuff. People got to. I get that it comes off as sensory overload sometimes. But I just. I'm like, no, I, if I, I see I, something I, I want, or that I think or is great, I want, and I'm like, okay, someone, or I know is probably gonna like this, and I've got, and I gotta fi figure out who. Yep. Oh no, I agree. I don't take my recommendations yeah. lightly. And I don't like when, when we recommend anything. I think of hard, very long and hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I always like try to copy down everything uh, you say or reference. I think. Well, it's hard because I don't I don't have any many friends that love films like I do. So I have my film Twitter friends and like well, not you guys. So like it's I recommend it through Twitter because none of my friends care. They like watch they they, they just watch the watch MCU movies. and basically like, anything that's on Netflix. And... Fast and Furious. I like Fast yeah. and Furious. I'm not uh, saying bad, but like you know, mainstream blockbusters yeah. is really what they watch. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> no, yeah, that's cool. <laughs> Entertainment yeah. film yeah. rather Pop, than popcorn flex. art film. Which there's nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Nothing wrong with I that. Think the two, no, I hate no. the two extreme extremes where popcorn flicks or snooty art house stuff. No, but even then, the snooty art house people can no. be just and just as shallow about their film knowledge. No, it's like, yes, we get it. You've seen a couple movies by Greta Gerwig. Wait, you're not an expert. <laughs> That's what I love about Paul Thomas Anderson. He seems he's well not read, like a Tarantino. He he's like kind of like what did you said earlier? He's like a in between art house and like pop. Like, I, like I don't think he's, he's like I was I was too. just saying about the inherent vice specifically, but sure. now that you mention it, yeah, is that there are element again there are elements of him that do resonate with mainstream audiences. That's why I mean stuff like Magnolia and There Will Be Blood are still on Netflix for God's sake, and those are generally movies yeah. that even people who aren't that film related still talk about. Good God, there was mm -hmm. a there was an SNL skit about the drinking your milkshake bed from There Will Be Blood. But yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Great ending. That's probably my favorite yeah. ending ever. I'm serious. That ending my parents so were phenomenal. baffled by the ending. I mean, I liked it, but or they're like, "That's it." Oh, good. And whatever. Yes, that's You're it. You're all entirely <laughs> your opinions and such. It's not. It's not worth getting mad about. It's not worth. Speaking of there be blood, when I went to school at Akron, um, I actually didn't go for film, and I went for criminal justice. Really? Things, but I took script writing <laughs> classes. Yeah, I'll get into that later. But my script professor wanted to show us. A good example of show don't tell, and I—that's that, when I was in my PTA craze. I'm like, hey, you gotta show us there'll be blood. First ten minutes, there'll be blood. And he actually did, and that for, that intro, the first 10, 15 minutes is nothing but action. We don't see, we, no one talks. We just see everything, and we get all of Daniel Plainview's character with just the intro, which is so phenomenal. It's I felt so the same way when my screenwriting professor showed us Once Upon a Time in the West as an example. I'm like, yeah, yay, Ooh. yay, spaghetti westerns. Just like I'm just kind of bouncing a little in my head. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, that I think, it's funny you mentioned uh, there will be blood specifically because I think that's where his collaborations with Johnny Greenwood started. Yeah, that's his first, yep. their first work together. And, oh my god, what a yep. fucking score! Is I oh, love how different all of them sound movie to movie too. Oh, I mean, too is that, uh, 
Yeah. I do love it when uh, people from the actual music industry come in and do that good God Stuart Copeland score for Rumblefish is something else. The drummer for mm-hmm. one. I love that uh, Paul Thomas Anderson is friends with I, all of Radiohead. Yeah, he did that's, Anima, that's for, Nef- awesome. anima cool. for Netflix last year, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah with I, Tom York. Man, that was great. That was true. Yep. Weird, but I mean, great. that's kind of why I it's great, though. I agree with best score. We're talking about Thread. Phantom Thread system score by far. I've heard it's a lovely. It's so I don't want to. Wa- I don't want to listen cool. to it until I've seen the movie, though. Which sometimes I'll listen to the score yeah, before I the believe. movie, but sometimes if I hear it's from a friend that it works better in context, then I will. We're gonna show some res- or some uh, reservation and then just wait. With, it's with very Phantom elegant. Thread. Yes, with Phantom Thread, I get really big Barry Lyndon vibes and Chandler. I think Barry Lyndon mm. is. Kubrick's yeah. best film. I love Barry Lyndon's been a movie that's always so, left me a little cold. So good. Yeah, but like I might call me basic or anything you want, but I think it's Kubrick's fi- my favorite Kubrick films of either or Event 2001 or The Shining. Actually, wait. No, no, no it's not two, It's 2001, The Shining, or Eyes Wide Shut. It always ends or circles through those three. Lately, I've been leaning towards Eyes Wide Shut. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I love yeah, the, the killing. The killing is noir, fun fact. You know, that was, I actually learned this uh, just today, actually, is that the, I mean, speaking of classic crime writers, Jim Thompson wrote the script for that movie. With Kubrick, the guy who wrote *The Killer Inside really? Me*, like one of the most, one of the wow. even then Kubrick said it. This is one of the most sadistic crime ro- novels of its t- of its time, if not all time. And yeah, wow. it's still a, dip- or a hard read even to this day. It's still a really that's a- about as hard boiled as hard boiled gets. It's as hard, mm-hmm. like yep. Great and film. speaking of which, uh, one of my favorite, and I was actually looking through the Wikipedia page for this, and uh, apparently one of my favorite film noirs, uh, K- *Kiss Me Deadly*, was an inspiration for *Inherent Vice*. Which is, I can't. I'm trying to. I'm that. trying to think of where other than like other than the fact that it does have a climax on a beach, which I will not spoil because. Right, but let's just say if you've seen that plot <laughs> device in other yeah, movies, yeah. <clears throat> *Pulp Fiction* and *Raised the Lost Ark*, you, this is where that comes from. I love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, oh, like the it. original book of that was also pretty hard as nails, but the movie just doubles down on that because one, it's not a fan of Mike Hammer at all. It's like Star. I've seen comparisons to Starship Troopers in terms of how, or how uh, the, or, you know, what's philosophically opposed the the movie is to the book, and I wouldn't disagree at all. No, Unlike definitely. something like Inherent Vice, where I don't think the film film is supplementary material, nor would I say it's better than the book. But I'd say they're well equals. They're peers. Basically, they work better for the book. That it works better is this broader, or, and sprawling, all encompassing thing as novels tend to do, and do. But the film is, or, and it feels weird to say this about a movie that's like or, two hours and thirty minutes long, but it's streamlined. Well, it's more character oh, yeah. oriented. While while the book is more wrapped up in the minutia and the actual land and the historical context. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do really want to. Yeah. It is it. a great book, though. It, it's probably the if you're going to get into Thomas Pynchon, get into it through there. That or bleeding. Yeah, bleeding I heard edge. it was like a light version. Yep. Can we can we talk about um, Docs and Bigfoot? By all means, because I, I think that is the most fascinating yeah. part of the film. I do love, really I love that even at the end, the end, they're they're not right, enemies, but there's definitely distance between them, and not just because of who they, right, they are fundamentally. Like even at the end, and Bigfoot want, right, call, keeps calling himself like hippie scum, scum and dope feet and all that, but he wants mm-hmm. the sense of bliss because he's clearly not happy in the mar- right, in the suburban mar- right, bullshit marriage he's stuck in. Oh no, right, like good God, right, God, his the way his wife talks to. Or it talks to him, and it, we're like, even when she's chewing out dogs, she's like, okay, back off, please. Back off. Like, you're being too hard. Right. That was like, that was oh, good God, the part at the end, which, by the way, uh, the part where he eats the joint, that was ad libbed. Or, or he's like, okay. Or, yeah, oh, Josh Brolin was talking to uh, PTA, and he's like, 
okay, there's gotta be something extra I gotta do for Do- Bigfoot to really rub it in a duck. I'm like, what if I just eat the joint? You know, and he's like, you'd be comfortable with that? Sh- fuck it, sure. <laughs> nice. I mean, I can- love that. No. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. Okay, I love that. Um, Bigfoot just calls Doc like during the night. Like he acts like he doesn't care about him. No, just call him at <laughs> also, home. Also, speaking of good time. setup and payoff, we're in like. I mean, this actually is a World Sugar mystery. I love that part earlier. He's like, "Huh, he didn't kick down my door like usual." And at the end, bam, he yeah, shatters he like the glass. <laughs> he calls us to fuck with them. He's like, "She's gone." What? No, she's she's just oh, not yeah. there. It's like, he's just the fuck? like, he's it's just like such man, an asshole, but he's such an entertaining <laughs> asshole too. I know. What? Do, what okay, uh, can someone explain like the sexual innuendos or just overtly sexual? Oh yeah, the flint. Yeah, I think. Uh, I, what, what, I'm not sure that? if it's ever said explicitly. It's de- I mean, it's still left ambiguous in the novel, but I'm pr- fairly certain he w- might have had a relationship with his ex partner. In Delicata. Oh. I mean, the, the, dead, the guy who, uh, I think, Glenn, was it Glenn Sherlock that they said murdered him or someone else? Adrian Prussia. No, Adrian Prussia, right. Adrian Prussia. Prussia. No, that one scene where we first introduced him, he's like, you know, uh, Shasta and. Um... Uh, Glenn, are they F U C K I D? Actually, again? sorry to go. <laughs> oh, yeah, or are you just doing the joke? It's clear, or like they're just at. I love that Doctor mainly or he doesn't really egg him on all that much, he just lets a lot of it slide off his back. No, he's like, yeah, Be he's the better man, be the better. He's clearly like, you know, he ran deep down, he just want, or wants to say, you know, fuck off, man. I know he respects him, though. I, I know Bigfoot in a way does respect Doc. I mean, like Doc is clear, and the whole movie in general is not is generally at best ambivalent and uh, at wor- and at worst completely cynical towards the LAPD. But Doc seems, but Bigfoot seems to be well both the embodiment of its, all of its problems and well everything that or, that wins it good or in good favor in the public eye, which is a really interesting balance mm-hmm. to strike. And well, considering recent events, uh, a very hard one to strike. But we're not going right. to get too deep into that because that's yeah. in, in, again a whole other can of worms. There are smarter people yeah. than me to delve into that. Let's just say that. I love that this was nominated for a couple and, Oscars too. Especially the screenplay. Especially the screenplay that definitely deserved. By the way, know. speaking of uh, the adaptation, one last thing about the book. Apparently, Thomas Pynchon may or may not have a cameo in this. No one actually knows for yeah. sure that because the guy is a massive recluse. Like, if you look it up, the earliest pictures you can find of him for like 1955, where like mm-hmm. the guy is. Real shockingly good at keeping himself like Bill, more so than Bill Watterson. I thought I okay. I I didn't think I saw him, but I saw an extra that I thought like could be Pinchon if he wanted to be an extra that would have a cameo. It's possible. It was when um it's like they were yeah. It was when Doc and um I'm blanking on her name, but like the minor character who's the narrator. Sort of leash. When they're at the restaurant. Yes. Okay. When when they're at the restaurant the second time, someone walks past in like a fedora and like a detective outfit um and she oh, looks out the window possibly? Past. that could it's possible yeah. yeah yeah maybe all right anyway uh, you know what since we're gonna say it uh you know uh glenn sharlock's uh wife that visits him with like that respirator thing i mentioned there was something funny about her yeah. casting videos yeah. she in the movie she's credited as uh michelle sinclair she's a porn star named belladonna right. i'm not even being funny that's oh, actually I mean- you can kind of tell with uh, her introduction. Oh shot. god! <laughs> By the way, there's a whole joke in the book that got cut where uh, Michael K. Williams' character and her are uh, screwing in Doc's office at no and nowhere, and they're like, and he, he just walks in, and they're like, oh hi, can we borrow your place for a little bit? And he's like, sure. And then he just chews out a uh, my and his uh, secretary. He's like, 
why'd you let him in if they were just going to do that? And she's like, well, you seem like such a cute couple. Like, well, now's not the time to play matchmaker. That's basically the gist of their little back and forth. And it's hilarious. It's fun. And that, that could happen too. We could really see that. I wonder if that was actually just, I mean, that was in the original script, but they cut it for length. Speaking of which, Maya Rudolph is uh, in the film as secretary. Pizza's girlfriend uh, or wife. Their relationship, yeah, I think, yeah. was actually during the foundation for Phantom Thread. Was just like the little moments you love when, when yeah, with uh, your significant other, which is actually that's something heartwarming about that. Oh. I read he was like, sick, and, and she like took care uh, of him. Also, yeah, by yeah. the way, uh, casting porn stars in mainstream movies is not as rare as you'd think. Good God, I'm pretty sure one shows up in the Kentucky Fried movie, and uh, they definitely show up in Piranha Piranha 3D. Which definitely, that, yeah, that makes sense, especially that is that movie. movie. I like Piranha 3D. The sequel sucks, but worrying about the first one is a lot of fun for what it is. I also love that Richard Dreyfuss is a cameo in the opening. That pissed me off. As the, with Trailer, I don't know if you, I don't, I know Jack knows this, but my all time favorite film is yeah. Jaws. Um, oh, yeah. And nice. I, I need to just make a video or write an essay one day about it, but I, there's just, that's the first movie ever I remember watching on my way to the beach of all places. Perfect. That sounds, that sounds perfect. Family. I remember I was watching it on actually a trip to Scout Camp where we were going to Catalina. Like, you know, we watched that in Jurassic Park on the dr- bus right over there. A surprising amount of people in my troop did not like Jurassic there, Park. My local drive in had a double feature of them. Of those two. Oh. Jaws is the movie I've seen the most times. Jaws is just... Raiders is probably my favorite Spielberg. Jaws is what got Spielberg on the map, and you could tell because the shark wasn't working, so he's like, fuck it, I'm gonna think of other ways. And he and he does it with the camera and the music. Honestly, the, music the thing that makes me more mad or mad than Richard or Richard Drives' cameo in Piranha is the, the people have learned the wrong lessons from Jaws. Like yet when yes, when holding off the monster or monster does build suspense my you know, Jaws had stuff on screen to keep us invested, right? Which barrels, is a problem in that a lot know, of the music. and not just the barrel, like the character, like it's richly drawn, drawn. Like obviously, everyone gravitates towards Quint, but I always loved uh, Richard Dreyfuss's Hooper. Hooper always struck me as the like, yeah, he's the guy I'd be in the situation. Yeah, where like the smart ass green. He's like, you know, those guys on the boat out there, right there. Well, not right, well, a lot of them are just signed up to be hot lunch, and he's just, that smile he gives. No, no, he's great. All the characters in Jaws are... It's amazing because there's like five credited screenwriters. And the fact that it worked well, in the, I, the writing... Well, I thought Carl Gottlieb was the only person who got the final credit. On screen. So what happened was Peter Benchley wrote a script. Yep. They didn't like it. Sp- Steven Spielberg wrote a script. Didn't like it. They got Howard Sackler, who's uncredited. Then they got Carl Gottlieb to come in to, to do a cleanup. So there's like, a, there's like four writers... Put there, and then Robert Shaw wrote his own version for Quint's speech, which best in the whole movie. And it's just, it's, and then obviously there's improv too, because Brody improv uh, the famous line, You're gonna need a bigger boat. Like, that's just all of it. And the fact that they had all those, oh, out of joke. Oh, look, I know the, so co- good. the uh, talking good. about smoking nowadays is difficult, but one of the things I love about it is how much or in, or inflection you can get from a character just from the way they smoke. Like, like the way the cigarette bounces up and down mm-hmm. in Roy, Schneid, Roy Scheider's mouth when he's just or in chastising. Hey, so uh, why do you show oh, some of this shit? It's great. <laughs> and then the shark. Like, and you can hear what he's saying, though. Like, it's it's yeah. clear. It's a clear indication. Oh, my God. I, I also, speaking so of film, it's funny we're talking about smoking in relation to film noir. I think that's probably a genre that just would not exist without smoking. Oh, no, no. It, it, classic film noir is, man, you got to have it. The smoke in the black and white yep. looks so I good. also think the weed, the emphasis on weed is a great re, re, uh, recontextualization of it. And it's not like, a, this Inherent Place is not like um, uh, Beach Bum, which I don't know if you guys seen that. It's not. It's not good. Beach Bum is like a stupid stoner comedy. 
I didn't like it. I, it's probably the closest I've come to fully liking a Harmony Corinne film. Oh, it's. But Inherent Vice is not a stupid pod movie. They smoke weed, but it's not like, oh my gosh, look, weed should be legal. No, it's just it's because the character smokes weed. It is weed, possible to write a that's smart film about stupid characters, and that's honestly the the biggest lesson I think most people should take from Cohen, the Coen Brothers is that right, right, that right, there are plenty of stupid films about smart people, but there's not very few right, right, smart films about stupid people. <laughs> True. And I don't, True. and God, this is going to sound like I'm putting myself on a fucking pedestal here, but the problem with, with a lot of how quote unquote <laughs> smart people are portrayed in media is that they're, is that they're treated like superhuman. And great, right. Granted, this is going talking about coming from someone with high functioning autism. I'm, and I'm not offended by most portrayals of autism in media. I usually find them hilarious. Like, wow, you really got this off base. <laughs> yeah. Right, but like, we're in, we're in, we're in, well, stupid people is mainly just people. With all the flaws and indignities that come with humans, right? But smart, right? But the mo dumb movies about smart people often pushes you know, as some sort of wizard, wizard like good god. Sure, the show, remember, there was a great fucking green text, right? About like, smart people are wizards, <laughs> uh, great. Someone's gonna think hey, I'm, I'm some all right guy because I mentioned 4chan in a positive light. Yeah, speaking of writing writing characters, I'm not trying to like you, Jack. I'm not trying to stay on my own pedestal, but when I write when I wrote my scripts and I'm still writing like part three now, I try to make sure that my characters, especially the main protagonist, has flaws and he makes mistakes and that he like the plot doesn't drive him, but he drives the plot kind of thing, because that's what you want in films. So you don't want the superhuman. Yeah, yeah exactly. I don't think in a in a lax or in a lax character it can be really hard to write interestingly. You know, like a guy who's just in the background, there has to be something else there, right there, or else it's gonna feel inert. It's a difficult balance to strike. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there has to be motives. Which Drive. makes me so happy whenever someone actually does crack it. But I also think if a character is too primitive, like, it feels trying too hard. Like, yeah, good guy. Whenever tr someone tries to write a female protagonist in a video game, they're always like the be best in all their abilities. It strikes me like trying too hard, like. Just write a fucking human. Just write a fucking character. Don't have to make. Don't have to make them so like, perfect. You know. Just write yeah. A Speaking of writing, uh, I you know what? Cat's out of the bag. I can finally talk about this in public. I'm writing, drawing a graphic novel. Hell yeah, man! You showed me some. Uh, yep. Some, it'll be some drawings of it. It'll be on. Uh, it'll be out next nice. year sometime. We'll be, we're currently re polishing the scripts, getting anything, and we'll be starting on the art sometime next month. I am very excited. So basically, like, whenever you yep. get it done, send me a link. I'll, I'll buy it. Yep. I'll, I'll get it yes. I, I actually, actually I bring it up now because this <laughs> movie is unavoidably about a transitional period. I chose a period, I mean, I chose similar, but not quite. I chose like the late seventies because I think, or that because I nineteen seventy nine is one, or the year I most fixated on pop culture because of Alien and the Warriors and the actually no the driver was seventy eight. Or Phantasm and that was the year the car or the cars really got. Phantasm. I love Don Carrascarelli movies. I actually read his book True Indie a couple years a, a year back. Back probably the last time I actually like finished finished a book cover to cover. Yeah, but mm -hmm. outside of this, because well, I finish. If I'm gonna re do any research for this podcast, I want to do it someone with integrity. Like, well, yeah, like I mm -hmm. actually looked into it. Right. I took that, and I think it is probably the interesting thing because like the, I think the lean, the transition to the '70s was more gradual, but the transition from the '70s and the '80s is a lot harsher. I mean, because that kind of the last hurrah right. for psychedelic and back into more materialism, like or the fifties, but with much more neon and synth music. Fifties, yeah. Mm -hmm. Which, speaking of which, uh, 
we need to talk about Streets of Fire on here someday. We're probably going to do that next February. I love, 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 love Walter Hill movies so much. I'm going to add that to my watch list. Yep. Street yeah, me too. All right, also, The Driver and Le Samurai basically are patient zero for stuff like Drive the, and uh, Baby Driver. Especially, right now, I mean, Edgar Wright directly cited the driver as an expression for Baby Driver and actually hosted a screening of it, I, I think, at the Alamo Draft House. This, granted, this was like three years ago. Yeah, we're gonna go, and I unfortunately couldn't make it. Speaking of drive, uh, there's a great classic. It's not a classic film noir, but it's a French film called Les Samurai. I love Les Samurai. It's one of my all-time favorites. I also love Bob the Gambler. Chandler, if you want to watch a good Bob oh, yeah, the Gambler is yeah. a great one. Bob the Gambler, great early heist film too. Chandler, if you want to watch, if you want to watch a good film noir, Chandler, watch Les Samurai. It's fucking All right. phenomenal. It French really, crime it really embodies the. the I watched. Uh, speaking of which, I, I really love French down. film noir. But right after watching Tokyo Drifter and A Cold Is My Passport, I really love Japanese film noir too. I need to yeah, watch like, that. Honestly, damn, these are cool. I'm like, where has <laughs> this been all my life? I remember uh, I discovered. <laughs> right, I watched Tokyo Drifter because I found the Criterion DVD of my uh, college's library. I also and I found A uh, Cold Is My Passport mm-hmm. thanks to Patton Oswalt's Adventures in the Movie going on the Criterion channel. I'm like, yeah, look at this one. Like, I think I found a new favorite subgenre. <laughs> anyway, Brody, where can people find you online? Mostly Twitter. I am uh, annoying on Twitter, but if you want to deal with it, follow me at Brody51. That's at B-R-O-D-E-Y-Y underscore 51. I think it's the same for my letterbox, too. I'm pretty I think sure it is. I, I mean, if you type in your Twitter Actually, handle, if it's connected, it'll give you it in Letterboxd. True. Yep. You can it's find true. us all on our, li- our letterbox of our names, Jack Rourke, Chandler, Williams, Brody. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Warp Celluloid. And Celluloid. And Lloyd, if you ever want. Our DMs are open, once again. If you want if you want to, mm-hmm. to be on the show, just give us a ring. We'll be happy to listen. I would love or, to come back uh, on the show. Oh, yeah, we'd love to have you. Thank or, if, you. Uh, yep. you know, you want us to talk about a movie, Ooh. we can do it. You can find me on Letterboxd. Uh, it's just Chandler Williams. If yep. I had to pick a movie for you guys to to watch with to, with me, it's definitely one of my all time favorites called All That Jazz. God, I I feel like shit for not having seen Bob that yet because I I I watched uh, Bob Fosse's Lenny last year, right? Last year, great Good black film. and white photography too. One of my favorite biopics. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, I need to see more of this but, guy's work. Bob. All That Jazz has the best editing I've ever seen. The editing and the, the, the it's it's I don't want to say anything about it. It's yeah, just phenomenal. Roy Scheider gives the best performance ever. I think it won the Palme d'Or that year, didn't it? It tied with Kagamusha. It definitely deserved. It definitely deserved best picture over fucking Kramer versus Kramer. Yeah. What the hell, man? Uh, look, they make those decisions all the time. Oh, uh, they love their stupid family dramas. The less awards not and credibility it get and gets, usually the more well remembered it is. Which is a weird paradox right. because you could think. We're gonna think awards recognition would lead to a, mo- or a movie's longevity. <laughs> anyway, any more thoughts about Inherent Vice? Like, what would you rate it like out of ten? I'd say this is a perfect ten. I was for the longest time I was boring between like a. Nine. I started out as an eight, and I'm like then I gra- shifted into a nine, nine next viewing. Then I stayed there, and then I think I finally come around to like fully love it. I think my favorite viewing of it on, in total has been either the first time I saw saw it or this most recent time because after reading the book and just general being immersed in this world for so long i can feel like holy shit i finally get it i'm on this movie's page it feels so good i was happy like i was just filled with joy the whole time yeah i i i started out like nine now i'm at like I, i've increased like a, a 0.5 you know each time so um i'd say it's a perfect 10 for me right now no i i think it's a perfect 10 out of 10 it's a 
it's PTA's most underrated film. I love his take. Yeah, on I'd the say it's. I'd go as far as to say it's his best film. It's honestly, you could pick pick one from the hat. Any of his films could be his best film, but this and one. That's, yeah. that's fine. I love a director like who, who's like that. You know? yeah. I think there are someone a director who's in favor and who you whose favorite is a. Uh, Ran change ran changes with person to person is interesting because it kind of says something a little bit about that person. Exactly. Like, like, like I, I don't want to love Phantom Thread the best. So I mean, that's that's fair. That's totally fair. Which deserves because honestly, that movie's fantastic too. Yeah. Holy shit. Oh yeah, it is. We could do honestly. I'd love to do a Punch Drunk Love episode, even if I'm not, even if I don't I'd really love love that. love that movie because there's so much interesting stuff around it. I have a funny story about that. My buddy who loves Adam Sandler hasn't seen that. Like I got to show him that because it's not a typical Adam Sandler film, kind of like Uncut Gems. So we watched it. Or the Meyerwood stories that he did for Netflix. Right. After it was over, he kind of looked at me. He's like, oh, all right. (laughs) He didn't like it very much, but I'm like, oh, come on, man. Like it's, it's his, I think it's best. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. It's it's hard that or Uncut Gems. Yeah. Oh, he's, he's the best part in Uncut Gems. He yeah. really is. That and the score. Yeah, I lo- I love I think I love Good Time the more I think about it, but I still think I'll catch you. He's a great and speaking of great crime movies, I mentioned this right a couple episodes ago, but I think and you sh- Brody, you should out killing them softly with a uh, Brad Pitt. Yep, I've seen it. I saw it in theaters actually and um, really? my buddy and oh, I remember he oh, walked shit. out hated it and I liked it. I love remember- my favorite scene with James uh James Gandolfini just talking about like like that a prostitute. It's yeah. so good. One of his best performances, and he's only in one scene because it quickly communicates who this guy is and why it's so disappointing that well he's kind of lost his touch. Yeah, my biggest problem with that film is I hate Ray Liotta's character and how he's kind of like kind of little bitch. And I like Ray Liotta. So I don't like, mind that he kind of needs to. He does what he needs yeah. to. Oh yeah, he does good what he needs to. I just it's just to me it's like I know him as Henry Hill and he's kind of a badass, yeah. but I know kind of like a little pussy in that. I remember uh, I actually rewatched and I brought this up in the uh, Wild at Heart episode, but I rewatched uh, Jonathan Demme's Something Wild, which was the first mm-hmm. film he got big in, and oh my god, he's scary! Like it's a great it's a great love one of those great love on the run movies like True Romance or End of the Night. Yeah, End of yeah. the Night or well, Something Wild at Heart. All right, but uh, when Red Liotta shows up, it gradually leans into a dark, not quite horror movie territory that some people, but it definitely goes from like this light romance or romantic fling, or in fling of a movie to like this dark thriller. Mm-hmm. While not missing it, but the gra- transition feels so gradual that you don't even really mind. Mm-hmm. It's also got a great script. It's written really well photographed by Tak Fujimoto, who actually worked with John Hughes a lot. It's got a great soundtrack too. Good God, the right, Temptation by New Order shows up, and that's one of my favorite songs. If I had to recommend a movie, because <clears throat> Halloween is my favorite time of the year, October, I watch a horror film every day. If I had to recommend a movie for you guys to watch in October for like a Halloween episode, I have to shout out this movie because, of course, people think I'm obsessed with it, but I just love it. My is it Halloween three? Halloween three season of the witch. Knew it's it. a weird, I knew it. I knew weird it. movie, but it's phenomenal. Yep. It's got the best score. It's John the only Carpenter. it's the only Halloween sequel worth a shit. Masks. Yep. With uh skull. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah the, <laughs> it, nice. It's, 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 oh god, perfect, I still have that silver shamrock jingle in my head. It's such a good movie. Yeah. I mean, I know I know why people people wouldn't like it. I can totally see it, but yeah. I just love it for what it is. Really. It's the it's only perfect. good Halloween I mean, original series Halloween sequel that isn't all right, yes. too. Like pretty much everything after this, but before uh, D- David Gordon Green and uh, Danny McBride got their hands yeah. on it, it, is the worst of the worst when it comes to slasher movies. I'm not sorry for saying that. Well, it's because it was supposed to be an anthology series, but just imagine it should have been. Carpenter and Hill could have made a different Halloween never. film every year. It would have been better just, than having the same movie over and over again, you know? I, or, yeah, I th- 
I think the I don't think it's that underrated anymore because it's at this point its reputation has been rehabilitated enough. Thank God, it's got a cult following. Yeah, one of them. <laughs> oh yeah. Right. Mean, I also I also I'm hoping that Cloverfield picks up the baton from it, but considering how Overlord and Lord ended up being its own thing, and Cloverfield Paradox just went belly up with most people. I liked it, but oh well. Right. I'm not sure how yeah. likely that is to happen. Which is a shame because Ten Cloverfield Lane was fucking great. Mm-hmm. Yep. And one JJ the... just needs to get a good script, like not yeah. just take someone. Else's I mean, I'm, I think he's a script. much better producer than he is a director, honestly. I, uh, yeah, I agree. Yeah. Again, Overlord, that movie is a weird War Tales comic come to life. I friggin' love it. It's I haven't seen that, but I heard it's good. My buddy always tells me about it. Like I gotta watch yep. it. I know. Speak. Anyway, I'm thinking that's all we got on the brain for now. I mean, this was the fun time. I, I really appreciate you guys bringing me on the show. Totally, man. Um, thanks I, for coming on. I love yeah, thanks. Thanks for being here. Oh, thanks. Thanks. It was, and I love that we talked about a film that people should definitely check out more and give it a chance because it's it definitely deserves a little bit of a, a little bit of a following. Yeah. You know, it's I think oh, it's yeah. getting more any. I, mean, when, I remember uh, last episode, I remember you mentioned Chandler mentioned the lobster was underrated and I was a bit hesitant. Because all right, I keep because again, when, if I see something with like over a hundred hundred thousand ratings on Letterboxd, I assume this is a movie that a good chunk of people have seen, both ma- mainstream yeah. fil- audiences and well, film lovers. Mm-hmm. Right, because that, right, just a way of gauging things. But right, so I was just a bit hesitant. Right, but it's something like under that. That's when I say underrated, like under fifty k. Yeah. Well, I mean, like I wouldn't consider. Just non. I wouldn't consider non moviegoers yeah. being. I mean, on I def- box, Yeah, I mean, I'm right, talking about yeah. like. It's I mean, there's definitely people like us. There's a or a good chunk. There's. I mean, good God, the Dark Knight has like 700k rating. I again, I use it as a gauge, not as a perfect rate. Like it's like a fraction, oh, yeah. like a fraction. The Lobster is great though, Chandler. That's a really. Yeah, thank you. I thank still you. need to go the do a whole yeah. Yorgos Lanthimos binge at some point. <laughs> that toaster seat is so funny. I also have. Oh, yeah. I also have a theory <laughs> based on Ex Machina and un and uncut gems and under the silver light. Or like in uh, Free Fire, A twenty four. I think I'd get. I like them a lot more if they did more genre films. Definitely should do some more neo noirs. And not just neo noir. I mean, like science fiction, horror, fan. Like I think the thing that if and when it comes out, hopefully, really is David Lowry's The Green Knight. That's the one I'm most excited for because yeah, I don't have they amazing. tackled fantasy, yet. and I don't. And I hate yeah. this idea that they're like a genre of their own film. Like they're just a production company. They're one thing and all, or one thing is just obnoxious to me. No, yeah, they don't make the movies. They just pick them up and, and distribute them. Yeah, yeah, distribution company. They take a lot of risks. Yeah, which is which is nice. Respect. We, we need stuff like that. We can't have Marvel and I'm not trying to sound like th- th- this guy, but like we need we need more stuff to balance we, it we out. More... The problem is I don't. Yes. Here's the thing. I don't hate Marvel. Yes, I know I've sounded a lot really negative about them in the last few years, or a few years, and uh, maybe I have overdone it. But we, I only say this mm-hmm. because we need to balance it out. Like. I'm fine with having the big popcorn action stuff. Good God, Shane Black's yeah. my favorite screenwriter. This That's what he specialized in. Yeah. yeah we definitely need a, a good balance because you, you can't have nothing but that. Right, it's like a diet. Right, like, look, I'd love to eat hot wings every day, but I can't. <laughs> right, repeat. Oh, you're right. That's a good, that's a good okay, man, a hot like, wing. I have to drive 40 minutes. I, sorry, I have to drive uh, 40 minutes to go see like my my like A24 films or I have to go to this place in Akron, like the little like art house movie theater to see these instead everywhere else. They just show the, the market as it is now, which, Hey, nothing wrong with that, but we need, we need some variety here, especially for film lovers. You know, you know? Maybe one of the reasons I became resentful oh, of yeah. Vegas lately, which I'm finally going back around to it because I think one of the things about going to college out of state is that it finally gets you to appreciate stuff, stuff from back home in some ways. Yeah. Or like, 
is that well a lot there technically there is stuff to do here but not a lot and mo almost none of it is actually caters my interest like we don't even have art house theaters here all we have is just like the big multiplexes oh really yeah Jeez. and the only one in savannah is owned by our college the only one i know of in savannah is owned by our college and even that doesn't okay. use all the time <laughs> yep. yeah that was a good uh good, good discussion yep it really was this is gonna be oh yeah anyway really was thank you and again thank you guys it's awesome thanks for having I, a, thanks for coming on man thanks for coming no thanks yeah, for totally. you guys are awesome yeah. this is a cool podcast and i will yep. definitely check out your other well episodes. we're a humble again i made a joke everything. earlier that we were a tax shelter production and which isn't entirely <laughs> true but we are definitely like small we're in smaller like we don't really do sponsorship we are pretty much entirely our own thing no, that's the best kind. Yep. You don't want you, you want your own yep. style. You don't want a, a, a you which know, is why I'm always I'm always self conscious about. I mentioned like an increment advice. I'm like worried. It was like, am I just am I adding anything to do this, or am I just repeating whatever people are saying? That's what that's just this nervous little tick I have in the back of my head. I'm like, eh. Well, I think we had a good yeah, It's authentic. Yeah. yeah. Because I do, because again, I don't I don't want to just repeat everything else. I want to add on to, or into it or have something to say. I'm like or bring it up if it's worth bringing up contextually. Yeah, yeah. No, I got you, man. Yeah, and we have fun. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. I was looking forward to this for the last couple. I also weeks. try to mix things up because you know I'm also worried like some films are too similar, right? Which ends up leading to similar counting conversation, which is why after you know, I put, we watch uh, say Wild at Heart, we watch Zardoz. Zardoz. Yep. <laughs> and and how next time? Well, right now I also mentioned another filmmaker. This is this is a good segue to uh, our little coming coming attraction segment, as I call. We're gonna call it well <laughs> as I call it now. Is, uh, yeah. Next week, we'll be talking about, about a film by one Samuel Fuller, a filmmaker who I think, Brody, you should absolutely unequivocally check out. This dude is the king, or is the patron saint of cinematic pulp. Next, sure. I'm not going to say which one, but uh, it's going to be going to be an interesting time. To, that's for sure. Anyway, thank you for listening. Again, follow us on Twitter on, at Warp Celluloid. You can su subscribe and to us. And I, th I think that's it. Stay groovy, yeah. man. Far out. Yeah. Peace. Have a good one.